0: ...in the world are happy to sing Christmas carols in schools and churches and marketplaces when perhaps they wouldn't have very much to do with Christianity um, during the year and they might even see themselves as as totally uh, non-believers. If we look across the collection of carols that have come to us over the years, uh, we see... That there are just a few that seem to have very little biblical content in them. I won't mention them, but they're, they're traditional and, and, and they get sung. But lots of the carols seek to faithfully um, tell us the story of Christmas and not just tell us the story, but uh, also try to explain what it means. They've got real gospel content. And I think perhaps the most outstanding carol that we have in that respect is Hark the Herald Angels Sing." Uh, It's a very gospel-centred carol and I'd like us to just look at it for a few moments uh, this morning uh, just to see the background to it and to to know that we're actually singing God's truth when we sing it. Uh, It was written in 1739, so it's been going a long time, by Charles Wesley who was the brother of John Wesley the Evangelist uh, who was the founder of the Methodist movement. And so you can understand why it's got such good um, Bible content. Let's, let's ask God to help us. Father, we do thank you for the fact that the whole world um, sings your truth at Christmas time almost. Whether they believe it, understand it or not, Lord, thank you that you can work through it. You can use carols to awaken people, Lord, as your truth is proclaimed. Lord, help us this morning in our understanding and appreciation but at the end of the day, all that we seek to do, Lord, uh, is to cause worship to rise in our hearts, Lord. We ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the first slide, please. Heart the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I've t- titled what we're looking at this morning, Listen to the Angels. And I think, uh, hopefully, you'll see at the end why it's so important that we listen to precisely what the angels are singing or saying. Now, it may surprise you to learn um, that, as far as I can see, there is no reference to angels singing in the Bible. Oh, wasn't that disappointing? Isn't that disappointing? I cannot find it anywhere at all. And you might say, well, what about the heavenly choir that accompanied the angel when the angel spoke to the shepherds? Um, well, let's just read. I'll read to you what it says here. It doesn't, this, these won't come up on the screen, but I'll just read it. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Today in the town of David a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. Now maybe Charles Wesley used the word sing because it rhymes with king. <laughs> it may be, I don't know, but the idea is certainly caught on. So why am I making this point? Why am I being a bit pedantic about this? Actually, it's not important whether they were singing or saying. But the point is that it's important that we see what the Bible actually says in many circumstances because the Bible gets misinterpreted so easily. And I find... You know, people could say, oh yeah, the angels are singing. Listen to the angels singing, but not actually hear what they're saying. And I find that with even, you know, popular songs. I can enjoy a popular song, and I think to myself, I haven't a clue what it's about. But I like the song, I like the idiom, I like the music, I like the beat. You can imagine I like the beat, can't you? That's it. But I do. So it's important that we listen, we listen to what the angels say. Now, Wesley rightly refers to them as herald angels. A, a herald... Uh, announces news from an authority to people. Now angels are created beings, they are God's messengers, they are God's servants, and they appear dozens of times throughout the Bible. When I looked at the word angel in my concordance, it filled two columns. Right? There's loads of references. And they appear especially when God wants to communicate something special to his people or assist them uh, in some way. Uh, but the angels are more than mere messengers. They're not like a postman who puts a letter through your door and that's it. Right? They, are, they have much more authority. They speak with God's authority uh, and they're given immense power to carry out God's judgments, not only on God's enemies, but also on God's people uh, when they are disobedient. And A little example of this would be when the children of Israel, having received the Ten Commandments, were about to set off to the Promised Land uh, under Moses, um, we read this. This is God speaking to Moses. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Listen to the angel. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. Now it's important we listen to the angels. Now events happen in the world that can be interpreted in different ways. People see an event and they describe it and interpret it uh, in different ways and it's important if God is involved in something that we listen to what he says. Now, there was an intensified angelic activity around the time of the birth of Jesus. If you read through Matthew and Luke, you'll see that angels appear quite frequently. And um, if people had not listened to the angels, then things could have turned out a lot differently. Just think about Joseph and Mary. If they'd just blundered on in their circumstances without understanding what God was doing, how, how different history would be. But God was performing miracles in people's lives which needed explanation so that those people could cooperate with God, so they would understand and they would respond to God appropriately. Now, I'm just going to go through these briefly just at this point. But the first appearance is to Zechariah, who's a priest who is the husband of Elizabeth. They're both old, it tells us. And he was on duty in the temple And an angel stood by him. That must have been absolutely awesome for him. And uh, the angel said, quite naturally, do not be afraid, don't be afraid. And you'll notice every appearance of an angel, uh, even to the shepherd, said don't be afraid. They must have been absolutely awesome, these angels. And what an an awesome sight. Don't be afraid, your wife is going to have a son who will be great in the sight of the Lord. The son was to become John the Baptist, of course, And the angel goes on to tell Zechariah how God would use his son. Zechariah was quite incredulous and said, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Then the angel answered. I could imagine the angel drew himself up to his full height, put out his chest a little bit and he said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've come to tell you this good news. My goodness, what authority. I've come to tell you what this is all about. The same angel, Gabriel, came to Mary, a young woman, probably in her teens, who is pledged to be married to Joseph and says, Greetings to you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now naturally she is greatly troubled by this, just as with Zechariah, the angel, Gabriel, says, Don't be afraid. And then proceeds to tell her that she will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Son the uh, son of God Most Most High. Mary's response was amazing. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She received the word of the angel as a word from God and that gave her courage uh, to, as it were, go along with all that God uh, had said. Now, poor old Joseph, he wasn't so fortunate. Mary got prior warning of what would happen. Joseph had to pick up the pieces afterwards, didn't he? Um, he discovered that his wife-to-be was, to, was pregnant before he gets any explanation. And, of course, he starts to plan um, how he can this all can be hushed up and he can avoid um, the scandal. But um, an angel appears to him in a dream and says, ''Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is God's work. She has conceived by the Holy Spirit and will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people uh, from their sins.'' There would be scandal. Um, there's not so much scandal these days, as there, if children are born out of wedlock? But there used to be. I can remember when I was a child, you know, did you realise that she's not married? and She's got a baby, you know. That's what, but today it's not so much. But there would be scandal in those days. And they'd have to face the scandal. But the angels gave Joseph and Mary confidence to face it and they fully accepted the angel's explanation for what had already taken place, her conception, and what would take place, the birth of the child. Now, the virgin birth, or the virgin conception, as we should uh, call it, has been attacked and challenged from earliest times. And there are theologians, so-called today, uh, who will not accept it. And there are people who accept so much of the Bible and then they say, but I don't believe in the virgin birth. There must be a rational explanation for it all. But the angel said how it should be. And we, we have a choice. Either we listen to the cynics or we listen to the angels. Important. So the next slide, please. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. The idea that, that uh, the coming of Jesus will bring peace on earth is a popular motive, isn't it, on cards and decorations. Peace, peace, uh, it comes. And um, it it's, comes from the message from the shepherds. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared and the angel, with, with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and... Now here's why it's important to listen to the angels because there are popular versions of what the angels say here's one of them, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Have you heard that? Yeah? <laughs> well I've heard that frequently, that That's what, or goodwill among men, and so on, but what the angel actually said was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests, which is very Very different. Therefore, we see that peace—the peace that comes on earth uh, with the coming of Jesus—is selective. It's not; it it, it is on sinners who are reconciled to God. God and sinners reconciled. I don't know whether that kind of strikes any chord in your memory, but we haven't got to go back too many weeks uh, during our preaching series, seeing and worshiping Jesus. When we looked at Colossians chapter one, do you remember that? And you maybe remember, towards the end we considered Jesus the reconciler. We saw from the Bible um, that we as sinners are not naturally at peace with God. We are God's enemies, we're objects of God's righteous wrath against sin. And we also saw that God was the one, the offended one, who at great cost removed the barrier, moved the barrier of offence between man and God by punishing his son in our place. However, whilst reconciliation now has been achieved for all people, it is not yet enjoyed by all people. Because if it can only be enjoyed if it is received. If it's never received, it will never be possessed. To be reconciled to God, we need to receive Jesus the reconciler. That's just a recap on what we talked about, but it's relevant to that. See, God and sinners reconcile. God's favour does not rest on all men, but on those who by faith receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And this is God's grace, God's undeserved favour. So we must listen to the angels. Otherwise we'll miss it. We'll assume we're okay. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. God's happy with everybody. God's comfortable with all that's going on on earth. He's not And that's why he sent Jesus, to remove the offence, to remove the barrier, so that we could be reconciled to God. So we must listen to the angels, not the popular parody of what they said. The carol goes on, peace on earth and mercy mild. What's this mercy mild then? Well, we get a little clue really um, from some of the things that uh, were happening around the time of Jesus. Whilst Mary is still pregnant, she visits her cousin Elizabeth who is to be the mother of John the Baptist, who is also pregnant with a child, who will be John the Baptist. And Mary speaks out a glorious praise to God, which has become known as the Magnificat. Right? That word doesn't appear in the Bible, but that's what we have called it, because it's a wonderful song of praise uh, that Mary speaks out about God, how God is blessing Israel. And she starts, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. And as that goes through in two places, she mentions God's mercy. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. Notice, God's mercy is discriminate, It's to those who fear him uh, from generation to generation. And he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. Then Zechariah, who we mentioned earlier, after his son was born, he prophesies about the child. And we read... And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before me, the Lord, go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. Tender mercy, mercy mild. Well, I'm sure you know that mercy, the word mercy in the Bible, means that we don't get what we deserve. We're not getting the judgment and the punishment that we deserve because God is merciful towards us and he saves us from judgment. But why mercy mild? Why tender mercy? It's because in our miserable, helpless state, God makes no demands on us to earn his mercy. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. God is merciful towards us. God is compassionate towards us. He makes no demands on us other than that we acknowledge our sin and that we receive the gift of eternal life that he's willing to give us. So God is wonderfully merciful, but we need to receive his mercy. Next slide, please. Joyful all you nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born a Jew to be the fulfilment of all that God years before had promised the Jews. But God's plan was that through the Jews, through this nation under God, who would demonstrate what it was like to be a people who served and loved God, they were to be salvation to the world. God was going to bless the whole world uh, through the Jews. And uh, we can read about how that was prophesied and spoken about Um, when God spoke to Abraham, who was to be the father of the Jews. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then that plan is further proclaimed through one of the psalmists. He says in, in Psalm 67, May God be gracious to us and bless us, And make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. Don't we want to see the nations be glad and sing for joy? What a mess our world is in, you know? Joyful all you nations rise. I guess over the past few years we've particularly seen nations rising or at least having an uprising. That's the word we've heard, isn't it? There's been an uprising. And the term, uh, one of the terms that's used uh, in the Middle East is the Arab Spring. That term, it sounds hopeful, doesn't it? The Arab Spring. And uh, it applies where people have risen up against a, a, an oppressive dictator and put him down. And I guess um, maybe us and observers around the world have been optimistic about this and hopeful that, that with the coming of democracy there would be peace uh, and harmony uh, in these nations and stability. But what do we see? Well, tragically, um, we see in many cases it's, once the dictators remove, it just highlights divisions within the nation and people then are more conscious about their divisions. And um, peace seems as far off as ever. Oh, how they need to to embrace the message of the angels and find peace with God through Jesus Christ. Find peace with him. Um, That's what they need to do, don't they? This message of sins forgiven, reconciliation with God, heaven assured. God has entered human history. Christ is born in Bethlehem, the carol goes. And Christ was born so that men might be reconciled to God. And through that reconciliation, find reconciliation with one another. I don't know whether if it occurs to you, but I know men achieve many things and there have been some wonderful things that men have achieved in terms of reconciliation around the world without perhaps becoming Christians. But I look at these people and I think, you need to be reconciled to God first. Then you can be reconciled to your brother. Yeah. So, hark the hell angels sing. Listen to the angels. The next verse. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the Everlasting Lord." If you go onto the streets and you ask people, um, who is Jesus? And often Christians have done this, just as a, a, an opening to get to talk to people about the gospel. Um, of course you'll get all sorts of answers. Um, some people will say, it didn't exist anyway, it's just a, just a myth. But others say, well, he was a prophet, he was a good man, uh, he was a good teacher. Some might even say, well, uh, he's the son of God, isn't he? Without really understanding what that means. And of course, there are theories that Jesus was born an an ordinary man, um, but he was exceptionally devoted to God, and God anointed him to fulfil all the requirements of the Messiah. But he was still just an ordinary man, highly uh, favoured by God, anointed by God with power, but just an ordinary man. Well, I refer back again to our series "Seeing and Worshiping Jesus" from Colossians, where we celebrated who Jesus is, and it says He is the image of the invisible God. He is the same—that means He is the same substance as God. God and Jesus are one. John, in his um, writing, in writing his gospel, which Uh, the gospel was intended to bring people to faith that by believing in Jesus they might have life in his name and he begins right at the beginning, he nails this truth right at the outset, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning I rather like the um, living bible version of that before anything else existed there was Christ with God He has always been alive and is himself God. David mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses. Anybody here enjoy talking to Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, okay. They're worth talking to, (coughs) worth giving time to. Um, But, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, if I've got the time, uh, I'm happy to do that. And you might find that you can agree with much of what they say until they come to the person of Jesus. And Jesus is always depicted being far less than the Bible makes him to be. So as an example, they have their own Bible, the Living Word, the New, 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 New World, World Translation, that's it. And um, the, the passage I read, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. They, say, they put a little a in it, it's only small, but it's so significant, the Word was a God. Not the God, not the Living God, but a God. And as we look around the religions of the world, many of them acknowledge Jesus in one way or another, but he's always depicted as somebody far less than the Bible declares him to be. Christ the everlasting Lord. Listen to the angels. The shepherds were told by the angel today in the town of David a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's Christ Jehovah. It's the the word there, the Greek word that's translated "Lord" is their way of expressing the very person of God. He is Christ, the Lord. Next slide. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Was Jesus somehow late in arriving? Did he miss the bus or something? I don't know. Had he somehow been delayed in his coming? It sounds that way, doesn't it? And I wonder whether people at the time wondered that too. The Messiah, the Deliverer, had been promised to the Jews centuries before, but not a word had been heard from God for 400 years. Since the book of Malachi in the Bible, there was nothing from God for 400 years. The religion of the Jews had become lifeless and legalistic and to make it worse, they were under Roman domination. And many must have given up hope that God would come and help his people. The time must have seemed late. They must have thought, God's missed it. We're not going to get delivered. But we find that um, Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, says, Actually, it was the right time. We sang at the beginning, God of time and eternity. God never gets it wrong in terms of his timing, it's always spot on. <laughs> and Paul says this When the time had fully come, that's when the right time had come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as son. So God's timing was perfect. I just want to read to you a little commentary on this by a preacher, um, the late Judson Cornwall. I'm sure Fred knows about Judson Cornwall, a good American preacher. And he says this, God's calendar is not the same as our calendar. God considers when it's the right time and it's in the fullness of time. God's calendar had been marked from the beginning, indicating the day that Jesus would be born. Every event and circumstance that would touch this holy child, every person who would relate to his supernatural birth, even the nations who would affect him and be affected by him were prepared for his entrance into the world. The wise men were attracted by a star of unusual brilliance. God set the course of the stars and planets so that at the precise moment a light was produced in the heavens sufficient to attract these men. The world was at peace because of the control of Rome. It's called the Pax Romana. Uh, So with the promise of safe passage and the building of roads, the empire was opened up for the early missionaries to spread the message of God's love In Jesus, the presence of Caesar Augustus on the throne was providential, for it was at his direction that all the world was not only taxed, but also that everyone was required to go to their family hometown. We know that God can do anything at any time, but given the circumstances, there was never a better time, before or since, more prepared for the coming of Christ. God said, now is the time. The prophets said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, but it was the process of human government that served God's purpose to get Joseph and Mary to the right place against all human odds. The prophet Micah had said, But you, O Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over my people Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. It should be a source of encouragement to us that God, like a master chess player, moved all the pieces of... Personal, political, prophetic and planetary events to focus on one day known as the fullness of time. So Charles Wesley might say late in time but it was not late as far as God's calendar was concerned. Next slide. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. (coughs) Jesus uh, did not come in disguise. God did not come into the world uh, in disguise. Um, In other words, just portraying something that wasn't actually true. Because at the moment of its conception, God became a human being. That is the truth that the Bible declares. And that being that, he still retained his nature as God. So that in a way that we find a mystery, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He was neither, uh, there was nothing lacking in, in any of those personalities. And John, uh, in chapter 1, verse 14, says, "...the word..." became flesh, Jesus became a human being and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And later Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And amazingly this was never to change. Once God had become a human being, there was no reversal of that. When Jesus, after his death and resurrection, returned to the Father, he took his humanity with him. He didn't throw off his disguise, uh, leaving it at the foot of the disciples when he ascended into heaven. He took his manhood into heaven. This again is a mystery, but what it tells us is how God has honoured humankind. We are made in the image of God, and God has blessed us and honoured us by taking that part of us to to himself uh, as part of the Godhead. It's a mystery, but it's absolutely amazing. And it says, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. In Colossians, again, that we were looking at a few weeks ago, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. He was pleased about it. It wasn't something that he did as it were, um, kind of gritting his teeth and saying, I've got to get into this, even though I don't want to. There was something about God that wanted to be pleased with man and pleased to be among man. So it says, pleased as man, with man, to dwell. And in Hebrews it says this, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. There was no way that Jesus was ashamed to become a human being. It pleased him, it pleased God, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus was pleased to be among us so that he could raise us up to be like him, to be like him. Emmanuel means God with us. I'm sure we all know that. And God with us, not just for the time that he was here on earth, but God with us forever. Jesus told his disciples as he was anticipating his death and resurrection uh, and that he was returning to the Father, they were concerned, but he said to them, I've said these things to you, uh, but because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This promise of the Holy Spirit is to all those who believe in Jesus, who put their trust in him. It means that the presence of God is always with us. And as Jesus sends us out into the world, we're to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us by his Holy Spirit. He's with us by his Holy Spirit. So, Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. Hark the herald angels sing. Listen to the angels. Next slide, please. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Hail, Not the stuff that falls from heaven, but greetings. We don't say it now, do we? Hail. Hail, people. I could say at the beginning of the meeting, hail. But it's an old way of of greeting people. Even also of saying, welcome. Welcome. We welcome you. Prince of Peace. Paul tells us in Romans 5 that, um, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace to those who put their trust in him. David brought that out in the worship this morning. That we need to trust him and then receive his peace. It's all those who welcome him into their, into their lives. Jesus also is the light of the world and he's come that we might have life in its fullness. Now we get this strange kind of description here. Hail the Son of Righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. That's rather kind of metaphorical, isn't it? It's rather poetic language. And I don't want to go into it in too depth, great depth, but let me just tell you where it comes from. Uh, this is taken from the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, where the prophet is looking forward, not with pleasure, but with almost with awe, at the, the end of the age, um, called the great and terrible day of the Lord, the time when God will wind up everything and judgment will come on the earth. But for the people of God and those who love him, uh, they will find that it's a time of healing, victory and rejoicing. And uh, what we find is that in that prophecy of Zechariah that I referred to earlier, uh, he relates this to Jesus. He says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet, into the path of peace. So it's metaphorical. It's God's light coming into the world through Jesus. And that's why he's called the son of righteousness. Some would think we ought to be S-O-N, but the Old Testament says son. It means brightness and light. Right, the last section then, the last slide, or second to last slide. Mark, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth. It's the thing that we dwell on a lot at Christmas, that Jesus came in humble circumstances. He, he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the glorious God, the wonderful saviour. He deserved to come in pomp and ceremony and majesty and power. But he didn't do those things. He didn't, he didn't force people to follow him. He came humbly associating with the poor and the outcast. It it said the ordinary people welcomed him gladly. Jesus was so accessible uh, to the outcast, the people that were despised in the community. I I all find that a challenge. Are we accessible uh, to people the way that Jesus was? But he came humbly. I think that's what mild means. He came humbly. Mild he lays his glory by. Um, We sang that this morning, didn't we? You laid aside your majesty. And I think that comes really from Paul's letter to the Philippians, which I'll just read some verses. It's a very famous passage. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, which means he was of the same substance, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He did not take advantage of the fact, whilst here on earth, that he was God. In other words, to protect himself, Uh, to keep himself away from anything that would be harmful. But it says, But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mild he lays his glory by. As I said before, that when he approached people, apart from those who opposed him, uh, and he had some harsh things to say about the Jewish leaders who were oppressing the people. But when the people in need came to him, then he humbly received them. Uh, he was gracious, he was compassionate towards them. So mild he lays his glory by. So why was Jesus born? Why was Jesus? Why did Jesus come into the world? Again, if we ask people in the street, they give you other sorts of answers. Some of them would, be, would have some truth in them. Jesus came to show us what God is like, as yes, He did. Jesus came to teach us some new laws. Yes, that Jesus said, "I new commandment I give you." And um, maybe um, Jesus came to show us how a good person can live. And yes, that those things are true. But we know that primarily Jesus came to die. Uh, That was marked out for him centuries before by the prophets and God's speaking in times of old. Jesus had come to die. He came to give his life. And he said, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, He who dies, even, you know, if somebody dies, even though he dies, he will live uh, because of me. And so Jesus came that we might have eternal life. And he laid down his sign. Born to raise the sons of earth. We are the sons of earth and God wants to raise us to the heights of heaven. If you look at what is planned for us uh, in God through Jesus Christ, those who love him, we are to share the glory of Jesus in the age to come. We will see him and we'll be like him. We'll share in his glory, that's what Jesus prayed in John 17 which uh, Steve spoke to us about last week. Um, Jesus said you know, I want them to see my glory I want them to share in this wonderful glory that's what's planned for us God wants to raise us to raise us up we're going to be the eternal companion as the bride of Christ together uh, as the eternal companion of the son of God in the days to come so Jesus was born to die he came down that we might be lifted up and uh, to enjoy that came to give them second birth. Jesus himself said you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. But as we put our trust in Jesus, as we trust him and not trust ourselves, then God does this miracle in our lives and gives us new birth so that we are born spiritually, our eyes are opened and we can see the wonderful truths of God in his word. So the last slide. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king um, I don't need you don't need me to tell you that Christmas takes, easily takes on a fairy tale image doesn't it? That Jesus gets mixed up with reindeers and Father Christmas and all the rest of it it's all rather nice and fairy. And, and there are things that, that come in to the story that um, the Bible hasn't said it doesn't say, some of them are not that important but the whole thing Um, gets obscured, doesn't it? If we want to know what the true meaning of Christmas is, we need to hear what God says and we need to listen to the angels. We need to listen to the angels. We're going to finish by singing this carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
1: feet, then. <laughs> Off the angels sing, glory to the newborn King. mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the sky, with the angelic life to all grace joy together the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all evermore amen amen Amen. thank you